you have a copy of God's Word, I want to ask you to open it to the book of 2 Corinthians. Would you do that? The book of 2 Corinthians. And while you're finding your place, I want to encourage you to uh, come back and be with us tonight. Um, because this is going to be a two-part message. Um, now, honestly, I could preach it all this morning. Um, but I'm sure you'd like to be leaving here before 1.30. Can I get a witness right there? All right. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna divide it in uh, up into two parts. I probably should have done that to a lot of messages over the last 40, 40 years, uh, but never did. As a matter of fact, one Sunday morning I showed up to church and one of our dear sweet ladies uh, pointed out to me that I had a piece of tissue on my neck. And obviously I'd forgotten to, to take that off before I left the house. And I explained to her that that morning uh, that while I was uh, shaving, I was thinking about my message and I cut my neck. Well, after the service that morning, she saw me in the foyer. She said, hey, preacher, I said, I've got an idea for you. I said, great, let's hear it. Well, I guess she thought maybe I had preached a little long that morning. And she said, well, how about next Sunday morning you think about your neck and cut your message? <laughs> Seriously? I didn't think it was near that funny, but... Well, I, uh, as we gather here this morning, I am confident that uh, many have no doubt, no doubt enjoyed um, a fun-filled last few days with uh, family and, and friends and are probably looking forward to um, the next few weeks leading up to the joyous celebration of, of Christ's birth and, and more fun-filled uh, times with more family and, and more friends. And, 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 and that's how it ought to be. That's what the holidays are about. But I suspect that's not true for everyone here today. And I speak somewhat from from personal experience, this time of year can be especially challenging for those who are dealing with the loss of someone close to them. Whether it was a recent loss or one that occurred some time ago, Feelings of grief can be heightened during this holiday season and, and may seem overwhelming to the point that you're just not sure how you're going to get through it. And with that being the case and with the Lord's help this morning and again tonight, I want to preach to you under this title, How to Get Through what you'll never get over. How to get through 
what you'll never get over. Now, real quick, if you're interested, much of what I'm going to say this morning and again this evening, uh, recently the Lord allowed us to put uh, put it in print in this little 77-page mini book uh, by the same title, How to Get Through What You'll Never Get Over, Walking Through Grief by the Grace of God. And... Um, it's been a, already just a huge resource for pastors and churches. So often we don't know what to say uh, when we encounter people who've gone through loss and are going through grief. And to be honest with you, sometimes it's best not to say anything. Uh, but we have found this to be a great resource, uh, again, for pastors and, and churches and laymen um, who just... Here, read this. Maybe, maybe it'll be a help. This is a family that's, that's gone through this. And so uh, they're $5. If you want to pick up uh, one of those in the back, you can do that uh, after the service. I told you a moment ago that, that I'm speaking this morning from personal experience. That experience came on February the 6th of... 2018. It was a Tuesday evening, I don't know, 7 30, 8 o'clock. Katie was sitting in the living room and I was sitting up in bed in, in, in our bedroom when my phone rang. And I looked down and I saw it was our daughter-in-law, Sheena, and I was surprised that she was calling me. She normally called Katie. But I answered the phone and Sheena said, is Katie there? And I said, yes. And she said, would you get her? I need to talk to you guys. And so I went out in the living room, put it on hands free. And uh, through her tears, uh, we heard these words, TJ is dead. TJ was our oldest son. He lived in the south central part of, of Kansas. And um, that night he died in just a, a freak accident. Uh, while underneath his pickup in, in their driveway. T.J. Was, was 35 years old, and uh, he left behind his, his wife, Sheena. I think I've got a picture of, of him and his family. That's his wife, Sheena, uh, left behind those three uh, precious uh, granddaughters of ours, uh, Mallory Page, uh, Ellie Grace, and and. Uh, Callie May. Uh, Mallory was seven at the time, and uh, Ellie was three, or excuse me, Callie was, Ellie was three, Callie was six months, almost seven. Uh, this, is, this is them now. Uh, Mallory is 11, and uh, the other two are seven and five. Not long after TJ's death, Katie and I began praying that God would bring someone into Sheena's life that would love her and uh, love the girls and uh, lead them spiritually and, and really just 
pick up where TJ left off. We, we knew that there would never be another TJ. We, we understood that. But we were hoping God would put someone in her life that, that could lead her and the girls and love them just as TJ did. And it, it's really a, a, a crazy story how God put all this together. But um, that's Derek and, and his son, Boston. And uh, we are just so thankful uh, for God bringing them into Sheena's life and into the life of those girls and into the life of, of our family. And we're just blessed that, that God has done that. Uh, there's a, a lot this morning that I would love to tell you uh, about our son. Uh, but suffice it to say that at the time of his death, TJ was everything that a mom and dad could possibly hope one of their adult children would become. Not perfect by any means, but he loved the Lord. He loved Sheena. He loved those girls. Loved the little community he was a part of. He served faithfully in the little church that they were members of there. Um, enjoyed a, a very successful uh, business. I mean, just, just all around, T.J. was a good guy. Um, to know T.J. was to love him. That night changed our lives forever. And though the initial um, brokenness of our loss has subsided, the shock waves of pain are, are something that, that we still experience. And in some ways, we'll always experience at certain times of the year, like Thanksgiving and Christmas and Mother's Day, and Father's Day. We'll experience that pain every December 3rd, which was his birthday, and every February the 6th for the rest of our lives. If you're willing and able, I want to invite you to stand this morning. We're going to read a few verses here in the book of 2 Corinthians and then hopefully get into some biblical principles this morning that I hope will, will help you. You say, well, well, Brother Prater, I don't need this right now. Praise the Lord, I hope you never do. But if you do, hopefully God will give you some things this morning that, that will help, or maybe some things you can pass on to, to some, some folks you know and love. Paul said, it's not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into, into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a, a fool. For I will say the truth. 
But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that which he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, this, this unknown thorn in the flesh, Paul said, I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, that is God said to Paul, here's his response, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Thank you. You may be seated. The first thing that I, wanna, I want you to understand today with respect to the grief of loss is this. You don't have to get over it. Shortly following TJ's death, a, a dear friend of mine, I'm sure your pastor knows, Brother Dean Herring. Brother Herring reached out to me. He too had experienced a, a tragic loss. And, and what he shared with me in that brief conversation was so very helpful to me. He said, Bill, number one, you don't have to get over it. Said number two, you can't get over it. And he said number three, and perhaps this was the most helpful, God doesn't expect us to get over it. Now think with me for a minute. Assuming Paul was afflicted with his thorn in the flesh immediately or, or soon after receiving the visions and revelations he talked about at the beginning of our text. That means that at the time he wrote this second letter to the Corinthians, he had dealt with it for 14 years. Now, I stand to be corrected this morning, but I, I don't read anywhere in the Bible where God took that away from him. I don't find anywhere where it was, it was at some point gone from Paul's life. So I, I think I'm safe in saying this morning that he dealt with it for the rest of his life. So he never got over it. The concept of getting over it is a misleading and empty expectation. We get over breaks and sprains. We don't get over amputations. Not too long ago, I was mowing our grass and man, I would, I would just walking along, minding my own business and all of a sudden, and I hadn't done this in ages, but all of a sudden I stepped wrong and I twisted my ankle and boom, I mean, I went down and I was, it hurt really bad. I was writhing in pain. It was, it was excruciating pain. And I sat there for a few minutes just contemplating how bad my ankle hurt. But you know what? Eventually, I was able to get up and, and, and walk that off. And I got over it. 
But let's say I went to the hospital with a, a cut in my foot that got infected. And that infection began spreading up my leg. And in order to save my life, they had to amputate my leg just above the knee. I think you would agree with me this morning that that's something I couldn't just shake off. And regardless of how long I lived after that, I would never get over it. Because I would wake up every morning and see the nub. You see, a loss like the one our family has suffered, and like some of you have suffered, and, 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 and some of the folks you know have suffered, that's an amputation. You don't get over an amputation. I heard it explained this way. We don't, we don't look at the people around us who are experiencing life's joys and tell them to get over it. For example, let's say some friends of yours are blessed with the birth of a child. And so you go to the store and you get them a card and, and you write a little note in there congratulating them on the birth of, of, of this baby. Fast forward five years later and you're going through the mail and, and you're looking through stuff and you come to this card and you open it up and there's an invitation to this child's fifth birthday party. How many of us here this morning would look at that and say, are you kidding me? Another birthday? This is like five in a row. Okay, we get it. You got a kid. You need to get over it. Nobody would do that. We don't expect people to ever get over the birth of a child. So why would we expect them to get over the death of one? Or to get over any other tragedy as far as that goes. Helping people understand that they don't have to get over it will deliver them from the unrealistic expectations of people Listen, who mean well, they really do, they mean well, but they've never walked that path. Jerry Sitzer lost his wife, his daughter, and his mother all in the same car wreck. In his book, A Grace Disguised, he writes this, can anyone really expect to recover from such tragedy? Considering the value of what was lost and the consequences of that loss, catastrophic loss by definition precludes recovery. It will transform us or destroy us, but it will never leave us the same. There is no going back to the past, which is gone forever, only going ahead to the future, which is yet to be discovered. 
Whatever the future is, it will and must include the pain of the past with it. Sorrow never entirely leaves the soul of those who have suffered a severe loss. If anything, it may keep going deeper. I mentioned my good friend, Brother Dean Herring. Um, here's something that he wrote on the anniversary of his grandson's death. He said, the notion that suddenly or eventually the sorrow somehow dissipates is a fable that has been created by the empty slogans of people who have never suffered deep loss. Why do we feel ashamed of sorrow as though it is some sort of leprous emotion? Why do we hide our tears when our Savior wept openly at the death of a friend? The ability to sorrow and weep is a gift from God and is a sure sign of a living heart and a greater love. The pain remains, and the tears come like rogue waves. But God has somehow enabled us all to live through the unthinkable. We're here. We live on in our sorrow, and in our pain, we live in His grace. So first, you don't have to get over it. Secondly, if you're taking notes, write this down. You can get through it. Sometimes people speak of, of getting over a loss as though they're supposed to just move on, as, as though it never happened. You know, just shut the door behind you and, and, and do your best to pretend the pain away. But church, listen, it's not that easy. And that's not what I'm talking about this morning when I talk about getting through. Here's what I'm talking about. Getting through a loss is about that time that, that eventually comes. And, and let me plug this in there. This time that I'm talking about is different for everyone. It's different for a, for a mom than it is for a dad. You know, early on in, in, in this thing, it, it dawned on me one day that Katie had a nine-month connection with TJ that nobody else in our family had. So it was naturally going to be a different kind of, of, of grief for her than it was for me as his dad. And it's a different kind of grief for Katie and I than it is for our son Tyler and, 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 and our daughter Tiffany. It's a different kind of grief for, for us than it is for Sheena. Uh, but when, we, when I talk about getting through it, I'm, I'm talking about eventually coming to that time when we're able to accept the horrible event that brought so much grief and sorrow. And with the Lord's help, we find the strength to move forward in life despite the loss and pain. A sense of closure comes when someone finally allows themselves to, to accept the reality that what was done is done. And nothing will bring back the past or undo the damage. Though he never got over his thorn in the flesh, 
I believe that Paul did get through it. That is, he, he, he did come to accept it and to find the strength to move forward in his life in spite of it. And I believe we see that in our text this morning from verse 9, where Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, understand this this morning. Acceptance doesn't mean that everything is okay. Because it's not. It wasn't okay that our son wasn't there last Thursday. And it's not going to be okay in a week or so when it's his birthday. I'm sorry, but that's not okay. So I'm not saying that, 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 that acceptance means that everything is okay. But here's what, I, here's what I mean this morning. It means that you are okay. And that you are choosing to get through it. Even though you'll never get over it. The third truth that I'll share with you this morning is, is simply this, and I, I say simply not because it's not important, because it's very important, and it's this, God is sovereign. Listen, we have no, no reason to fear the doctrine of God's sovereignty. It's in the Bible. So, preacher, what does that mean? It means that he has the power, the wisdom, and the authority to do or allow anything he chooses with regard to his creation. Let me say that again. To say that God is sovereign means it has the power, the authority, and the wisdom to do or allow anything he chooses with regard to his creation. The fact that God is sovereign means a number of things. First of all, it, it means that he's free to do whatever he chooses to do. To say that God is sovereign is to say that he has the right to deal with us any way he chooses. To say that God is sovereign means that he doesn't have to treat us like he treats our neighbors. The fact that God is sovereign means that he doesn't have to treat us today like he treated us yesterday. And perhaps most importantly, it means that he's not obligated to live up to our expectations or to explain himself. As we look back at our text, Paul knew that, that at some level... This thorn in the flesh was Satan's attack. The messenger of, of Satan to buffet me is how he referred to it. But he also recognized that in a, in a larger sense, what came into his life could only be what God allowed. Thus, he said that it was given him. 
Look at it. This thorn was given him by God's permission. And so he, he said, I know this isn't just a stroke of bad luck. I, I know it's not happenstance. I know it's not fate. I know that this is by divine design. Now, church, listen, listen. All of this truth about God's sovereignty is probably not something you want to share with someone early on in their loss. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't have wanted to hear this. I would have been like, bro, you need to back up before I throat punch you. I know all of that is true, but I'm not ready for that. But listen, I believe the sooner that we can come to grips with these truths, the better. Now, please listen to me this morning. I say that because tragedy will challenge everything you have ever believed about God. I don't care who you are, how long you've been saved, how long you've walked with God, how deep your walk with God is. I'm telling you that when tragedy strikes, Truths that, that we assume that we stand firmly on. I'm talking about simple truths like God is good and God is faithful and God cares for me. Listen to me. All of a sudden, that stuff's going to feel real questionable. But if you've grounded your faith and belief in the Bible. Although your whole life may change, the truth about God and who He is will not change. And that truth will be your firm foundation even in the worst of storms. God was good, faithful, and caring the entire 35 years, two months, and three days before our son died. And he's still all of those things. And I don't stand here and say that this morning because I feel it. I say it because I know it. Because it's in the Word of God. Sometimes we give lip service to God's sovereignty. But then when He chooses to exercise it, we accuse Him of being unfair and unloving. We want God to be in control but only as long as his purposes align with ours. That's not really trusting God. That's trusting ourselves. A true belief in God's sovereignty is to believe that God is never caught by surprise. 
He is always in control, even though, even through events that seem random and meaningless. And by the way, the time to get all of this nailed down is right now. Before tragedy strikes. <laughs> trying to come to grips with all of this truth would be like trying to build a tornado shelter in the middle of a tornado. You know what I'm talking about. It's too late at that point, right? No, you need to have that built now and hopefully you never have to use it. Listen, church, we need to get these truths nailed down in our heart right now. And hopefully we'll never have to use it. But if we do, we've got it right here. We're not trying to scramble to find out what God's doing. We know that God is doing his divine purpose. God is doing his sovereign bidding in our lives. So I'm going to stop there for this morning and we'll come back tonight and and, and, and finish this out. But as we prepare for our time of invitation, can I, can I be honest with you this morning? Katie and I still grieve the loss of our son. Sometimes we grieve as, as though he died four days ago and not four years ago. But here's the deal. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. Our hope is in the truth of the Word of God that says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I could not even begin to imagine having faced this tragedy, not knowing that our son had done just that as a teenager. And because TJ was saved, we have the blessed assurance of being reunited with him one day in heaven. Now, I don't say that this morning because he was baptized, because he went to church, or because he went to a Christian school, or because he was raised in a Christian home. I say that this morning because there came a time in his life when he realized that he was a sinner who could not save himself, that he could not get into heaven on the coattails of his preacher dad and his preacher's wife, mom. But he understood that he was a sinner who needed a savior. And that savior was Jesus. And he called upon his name, just like Paul said. And that day, God saved him.
Let me ask you a personal question this morning. Do you know you're going to heaven when you die? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I was baptized when I was just a little lad. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about being baptized, joining church, living a good life, and all of those things are, are good and they're proper and in, in, in the right place. But none of that matters when it comes to eternity. What I'm talking about this morning, has there ever been a time in your life, maybe at vacation Bible school, maybe at youth camp, youth conference, maybe on a Sunday morning and during a revival, maybe somebody came to your home and, and sat down and opened the Word of God and shared the gospel with you. And that moment you realized, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and I am not that Savior. And there's no church that is that Savior. There's no creed that is that Savior. There's no, no religious act that is that Savior. I understand Jesus is that Savior. And that moment you humbled your heart and you bowed your head and you prayed and asked God to forgive you of your sin. And you asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. That's salvation. That's what it means to be born again. Let me ask you a more personal question. Had it been you underneath that pickup that day, where would you be right now? There's only two answers. Heaven or hell. If it's not heaven, then that can change for you today. And we'd love to see that change for you today. We'd love to have the opportunity to share the gospel with you and see you come to faith in Jesus Christ.